of 321 No Kidding. Today we are going to work on step three, which I feel like I'm a little late on. I really need to get my act together so that we do step work at the beginning of the month so we can think about it the rest of the month. So as always, I'm going to do a little reading of what step three is and then start the dialogue by what some of the books, the GA books say the Writing the Steps and Working the Steps workbooks. What is step three? Step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of this power of our own understanding. Essentially, step three piggybacks off of step two, which makes sense, but step one is where we admit that we have a problem, essentially, and it's the beginning of surrender. Step two is acknowledging that there's a power greater than us, that we can hand the power, the power, the struggle of the addiction over to. And step three is kind of back to surrender and giving it to the power and relinquishing that I can do everything attitude. Before I get into the little paragraph I want to read, I want to talk about the power of our own understanding. And I'm aligned with the conversation that generally happens in a GA room, that it's not for any of us to decide what another person's power of their understanding is. And I've heard references from God to the universe to the door handle, of course, you know, being extreme, just so that folks have a place to work the steps with, right? The door handle may not be truly able to solve our problems, but having an avenue to release the responsibility and the pressure is more the point of it. At least that's my perspective on it. So most of you probably already know by now I'm more of a universe girl. And when I go through some of these questions, I'll share with you how the universe impacts my feeling on this and and how I've kind of worked my step three along the way. So before I answer those questions, let me read you just a quick paragraph from the writing the steps book. And of course, we're not going to write. We're going to just keep talking. So step three asks us to surrender, to turn our will and our lives over to the care of our higher power. Notice that the step says care of, not control of. There's ease, gentleness, comfort, and support in this kind of surrender. Step three asks us to make a commitment and let go of our stubborn, habitual, or irrational need or desire to control things that are clearly beyond our control. These are things we cannot change, like the actions of others, the weather, the passage of time, and our own compulsive gambling. 
By allowing our benevolent guiding spirit or higher power to handle these things, we free ourselves to address the things that are within our control. These are all the things we listed in step one, like remaining abstinent, attending meetings, being honest, finding spirituality, achieving balance. If we allow ourselves to be cared for in matters over which we have no control, we can direct our energies to affecting change within ourselves. Now, the next part I thought was pretty interesting. The question is, or the prompt to write to these, to this step is, write about the three things you could lose or you're afraid you could lose if you were, if you were to make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of a higher power. And the second part is, what three things could you gain? I really struggled to find three things to write down why I wouldn't refrain. Early in my recovery days, I didn't really believe in the universe or anything for that matter. So maybe I wasn't eager to turn it over to something that just didn't exist in my mind. And as I evolved, that kind of changed. But the two things that I did write down that I could see being afraid to lose is control, right? I'm a, I want to control everything. I want things my way. And I want to also have the ability to have the freedom to do what I want when I want. It still is very hard for me to think about not ever getting to play bingo again. And I could justify it with it's recreational, it's fun. I had like really good times with my grandmother when she was alive, my friend Jen. I can I can really get sad about that and not wanting to surrender so I don't lose my opportunity to go to bingo or gamble in general. So those were the two big ones. The other thing is, and I guess this kind of goes maybe into the process of one, two, three, almost all being together. If, if I admit I have a problem, that's one thing. And if I decide that there's a universe or somebody or something that I can turn it over with, that's fine. But then if I do turn it over, do I lose a part of me? Does that make me less normal? I could see being afraid of that. Like if, if I get through step one, two, and three, like that's the real hitting home. That's, that's really accepting on some level that we're addicts and that we have problems and that we're not normal. And obviously there is no real definition of normal when it comes to people and personalities and problems. However, I can see there being an immense amount of fear when trying to turn stuff over for that reason. So then I I looked at the question about what would I gain if I turned things over now, of course, in hindsight, it, this is pretty easy to answer because I know what I've gained since doing this. I've gained 
release of all that pressure of, of, of having to count on just myself or decide things just myself. I don't have to carry the burden alone. And of course, it gets even better as, as I'm active in the recovery community, whether online or in person, whether at GA or at the center, I'm not carrying my loads all to myself. Now, for some people, they use the group as a higher power. And I think that that's a great one. If, well, I think it's a great one. I don't want to add a but. I think it's a great, the group is a great resource. I think it's important to understand group dynamics and manage how how we receive the feedback and maybe look for the good you know the good examples in the program people that are working the 12 steps if if that's who you want as an example or who you're trying to model yourself off of and that gets all kinds of tricky too with you know, what's the right way and wrong way. And as you know, I feel pretty strongly that everybody's way is different. I went a little off course there. It It's complicated sometimes to use a group as a higher power. We, I'm very fortunate that when I'm struggling with a question, I can go to my group and get insight. We share feedback. Now I understand that GA groups are different in different areas. Sometimes feedback's allowed and other times it's not. Sometimes it's just you're venting or or putting things out there. I just I just want to put it out there that it don't you can't give any one person or the group like all the power, but it's helpful sometimes to have people with more clean time or more experience or whatever. Sometimes fresh eyes to a situation. So that was really the point that I wanted to make on that. And I'm going to leave that alone now. The next part of this section covers wisdom and the exercises in this book. And I'm going to read to you again a little paragraph that this covers. And then there's a few other questions that I will share on. And we're going to keep this a little shorter and sweeter than normal. So here goes. Wisdom. Surrendering our will to our higher power enables us to know our higher power's will for us. Letting go of our need to control or be controlled opens the door for us to develop the wisdom to know the difference between the things we can change and the things we can't. Because we're not attempting to exert our will, I'm going to mess up this word, acquiesce to the will of others or force an outcome, we are empowered to see solution situations as they really are, determine whether our participation is appropriate, assess our options, and make productive choices. A little bit of serenity prayer hidden in there, right? And I like what I'm hearing out of that paragraph. Basically, if, if we turn over the stuff to a higher power, and it gives us the clarity to see what we can impact and what we can't. First of all, it like frees up that burden. And secondly, when you aren't trying to change things out of your power 
I think it saves you a lot of those negative feelings, you know, anger, frustration, impatience, all the things that are probably listed somewhere in step four's inventory, which we'll cover next month. So I like that point a lot. And I really, I've been hemming and hawing in my mind about whether or not I mention the coronavirus today. And because it's a podcast and essentially it's evergreen, it, it, it didn't seem appropriate to me. You know, if you're listening in March and when we're going through lockdown and all that stuff, it may make sense. But in the future, it may not be quite exactly the same meaning. But if if we look at coronavirus in the way that this paragraph is saying, now I can't control it. I can't control the fact that I'm on lockdown at my house. I can't control that all my trips are canceled. I can't control that people I love and are being impacted uh, by being sick or losing people. You know, it's getting it's getting really close to home. I can't control any of that. And instead of me fighting the fight or being angry that I can't live my life normally or, you know, do what Bobby wants to do on Bobby's terms, I can be free to accept what I can't change, right? Serenity prayer, just basic, simple serenity prayer. I can accept what I can't change and worry about the things that I can't control. So I'm at home. That means I could do more homework or more cleaning or more podcasts. I've been able to knock out some, some interviews this week for the future. So I get to see the positive once I relinquish the negative to that power greater than me, the universe. And I've, I've had a lot of conversations with the universe this last uh, four to six weeks. Well, actually a lot, I guess in general, the last year. And something I'm trying really hard to do in, in those conversations is to thank the universe and exhibit gratitude <laughs> whether I can see what's on the other side of this or not. I personally believe that a lot, a lot of good is going to come out of this situation that we're in. I'm a pretty efficient or want to get things done kind of girl. And I think that as people are evolving their skills and thinking a little different, just because they're forced to, I think that on the other side, you know, once we all go back to our regular routines and jobs. I think we're going to see things different and become more efficient as a society. And I also hope and think that everyone will value and cherish their relationships and their loved ones maybe more than we did going into this. I mean, some of the stuff that's out there is, geez, pretty impactful. Okay, that's enough coronavirus stuff because I don't want to dwell on, you know, the the fact that it exists right now and, and what we're going through. I spoke a little about it on Saturday and quite honestly, I'm not sure I can have, I'm not sure how long I could talk about it without freaking out because we have a friend that's in pretty bad spot with it right now, so 
I'm going to go back to our GA meeting where I'm here and you're there and we're pulling it off. So the last couple of questions, like I said, I'll kind of answer. Does surrendering your will mean sacrificing your independence? And I kind of think, yes, for me, sure. At least my independence when it comes to gambling. But I, I was independent for over 30 years and that wasn't working. And the second part of the question is, even if it does, might it not be worth it? It's absolutely worth it to not be allegedly in control of my gambling. The, the value that I can see in who I am on the inside, how I view things on the outside, my progress as a human being, my steps going forward. The fact that I'm sitting here talking to you right now, if I was still gambling, guess what? I wouldn't be here. Even if it was a podcast about something that wasn't gambling, I wouldn't have had that motivation. I wouldn't have had the universe. I feel like the universe told me to make the podcast. Like it it showed up that clearly and evolved so much through meditation and, and the research and just my existence. So if I was still trying to be the boss, I definitely wouldn't be sitting here right now. The next question is on what do you usually base your decisions? Anger, intuition, fear, logic. How has that worked for you in the past? Is it working for me now? Are you willing to consider another? I base my decisions on results on the other side. I'm not sure the emotions that that driven, and I guess that might fall under logic. And you're getting me as freestyle as I would be in a me. But the first thing that jumped into my mind was, you know, my moves and my jobs. Those kinds of decisions were, you know, what's best for me in my career or financially. So those are the the results. The results might be I'd get promoted or, you know, I'd have a more money to gamble with, of course, but more money. I think another example I could answer this with, and, and because it's still recent, you know, is is the Bob thing. If I wasn't in recovery, who knows? I might not I might not have gone to the funeral. Never mind hope I would probably be gambling at a at a level that I couldn't even imagine, quite frankly. You know, if I was trying to bury whatever the feelings would be that came up during during the course of this, you know, it could be a whole lot different. So out of that, I would have made my decision out of out of anger, out of having still um, resentment. But I don't have any of that because I've turned that over through my step work. So I was in a much different place. So the decisions I made over the last few weeks of, of really trying to embrace my siblings and do a nice, respectful send-off, all of that was the universe helping me through that and, and giving me the right emotions to be able to do that. I truly believe that I was meant to go on that Asia trip and... I, a lot of things happened that led up to me going and going on the retreat that I did. 
And if I didn't believe that, and, and I said it on the trip, I said, I know I'm here for a reason. I don't know what that reason is. And it tied into, you know, the not drinking. But I truly believe that that trip helped prepare me for all of this. And if I, again, if I wasn't in recovery from gambling, it wouldn't have led me to uh, Paul's podcast and his community, which led me to the trip, which led me to the place I'm in today. Now, I still have tons of growing to do. Don't get me wrong, but I, I definitely feel more prepared to handle what is in my control. And I also think that I have a better view on knowing the difference between what is and isn't in my control. So I guess I'm validating the fact that step three really helps us along the way. And I hope that some of these examples are giving you some reason to, to pause if you haven't surrendered and turn stuff over. I mean, it really does get better. The last question what does the phrase do the next right thing mean to me? What does it mean to you? How does it work? Cite a recent example from your life. We talk about this all the time at group. Do the next right thing. The example that's coming to my mind, and, and I haven't gotten into this much on the air because I don't want to come across as passive aggressive because this is out there and he may hear this and I just don't want to use the show as a platform for this, but um, doing the next right thing and understanding what I can and can't control was really important in my last relationship. And I couldn't control his thinking or his behavior, but I could control mine. And as hard as it was, the next right thing was to stop communication altogether. I don't know all the consequences and I say that consequences good or bad I don't know what they'll all be but I can tell you that by not treating him like a jerk you know and and cutting off the communication instead of and this is what I mean by the next right thing because I did I did do a not right thing and what I realized is that hurts me more than anybody else. And it tore me up. So the next right thing was to apologize, which I did, which I think was more for me, to, if I'm being honest, so that I could heal and not live with that guilt and not put expectations around that apology. By removing myself from the situation, instead of quite frankly, an asshole or a bitch, you know, whatever you want to call it, has given me more peace. Like I have no regrets about my behavior um, or my efforts or the time and energy I invested. Everything that I can control, I feel like I did to the best of my ability. Not that I didn't make mistakes. It was definitely a big learning curve, but I feel like I did the right things I could. And I'm sorry that that example keeps popping in my head. And chances are I'll probably never listen to this, so that's okay. But again, I don't want to come across as passive-aggressive or um, paint him out to be in a bad light. That wasn't what I was going for at all. Uh, just different paths. And the universe is taking me on a different path because I didn't have to make that decision. The universe kind of made it for me. If I'm open to that and see it, 
and then practice that next right thing, I end up exactly where I'm supposed to be. And, and there's a lot of days I wake up just knowing I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Well, I hope our little step three meeting was helpful. I found, again, I think a quote that ties in very well with some of the discussion today. And it's from Reinhold Niebuhr. Neighbor, And here goes. Change is the essence of life. Be willing to surrender what you are for what you could become. It's beautiful. Just like my beautiful people. Bobby the Awesome signing out, guys. Have a great day.